Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. Welcome again to the house of the Lord today. If you want to uh, stand with me for the reading of God's Word, we're going to be look start uh, uh, with Romans chapter 9 today. Uh, it's been a little while since we've been in the book of Romans. Uh, God has uh, kind of been leading in different directions and, uh, uh, you know, uh, the last uh, couple months. But uh, we're going to return to our series today. This is what God has laid upon my heart for this week. Uh, Romans chapter uh, 9, we're just going to uh, start here. I'll, I'll start just read a couple verses before we get started. Uh, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the Father and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who was overall the eternally blessed God. Amen. You may be seated this morning. And as we go through, we're going to go uh, verse by verse here through Romans chapter 9. So you want to uh, leave uh, your Bibles out as we go uh, through this. Uh, so let's start here. Basically what Paul is doing is he's shifting uh, from Romans, uh, from the first eight chapters. And he's going to start focusing here a little bit on Israel, the nation of Israel. Uh, and he expresses here and as for these first verses that uh, his heart hurts for the nation of Israel. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul was an Israelite. Uh, the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee, a Pharisee among Pharisees. He knew the Word of God front and back, and uh, he was, uh, uh, you know, a studied uh, Hebrew, an uh, Israelite, uh, and uh, he loved his fellow Israelites, those Israelites being of the children of Abraham, who were then the children of Isaac. Okay? And so uh, God, uh, or Paul, he goes so far to say that he's so sad that the nation of Israel uh, has rejected God. Uh, to get to this point, uh, God had, uh, had to take both the northern portion of Israel and the southern portion of Israel after they split in half. Uh, he had to take the northern and the, uh, kingdoms and he scattered them. And then finally, eventually, the uh, southern two kingdoms, he actually, they got brought into captivity uh, with the Babylonian Empire and because they continued to reject God. And then finally, God sends his son, Jesus Christ, and uh, Jesus comes and the nation of Israel rejected him, the Messiah. And so Paul is heartbroken that his people, his fellow Israelites, his brothers and sisters, that they have rejected Christ so much so he says, listen, the Holy Spirit knows by heart. My conscience testifies and the Holy Spirit will, uh, will uh, agrees and knows what I'm saying to be true. 
that my heart hurt so hard for my fellow Israelites that I wish I could trade places. He says that I would be accursed, meaning I would gladly suffer eternal torment in hell for their sakes so they would be restored in their relationship with God. And he meant it. Now, of course, such an exchange is impossible, but he didn't mean it. He knew it wasn't possible. He knew that that trade wasn't possible. But his heart hurt for the nation of Israel. His heart hurt. And even though Paul uh, would become known as the apostle to the Gentiles, uh, he started almost every single uh, uh, missionary, when he would go into a city, he would first go to the synagogue. He would first go to the Jews every single time. Inevitably, a few Jews might believe, but the majority would reject him, and so he would then go to the Gentiles who would believe, typically. Uh, but he always went to the Jews. He had a heart for his fellow countrymen, and he was heartbroken that they had rejected the Messiah. All right, let's continue here now. Look with me. Uh, 2 verse 6 but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect for they are all not uh, uh, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel uh, so what Paul is saying here is that even though my heart is broken for Israel they have my fellow uh, countrymen have rejected God time and time again and now they've even rejected the Messiah what Paul is saying here is that now there is a physical Israel and there's a spiritual Israel. There's always a remnant that God talks about of the real followers who love him and that uh, will serve him. Now remember here that in these verses, Paul is talking about the nation of Israel. You're going to see here as we go through this that he's specifically talking about Israel and he's saying, listen, my heart is broken for them, but this is what I know. That while there's a physical Israel, there's a spiritual Israel. So not every single person who calls himself an Israelite is actually a spiritual Israelite. Not every single person who is a child of Abraham is an Israelite. A true Israelite. And so what he's going to do is he says here, not are they all, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. What does this mean? So for those who may not know, uh, God made a promise to Abraham uh, when he was an old man that he would be the father of many nations. He would have a son, and from that child, uh, he would, his, his descendants uh, would bless the whole earth. Right? Uh, and, and, you know, Abraham, it tells us, as we studied earlier in the book of Romans, that uh, he uh, was not chosen by God for anything because he was anything special. He was special because God chose him. And uh, he uh, demonstrated a faith in God. Uh, he was saved and declared righteous because of his faith in God and God alone. Uh, and so God made a promise to him that his seed would be as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. And that the world would be blessed by his descendants. The world would be blessed through him. 
Abraham uh, got a little restless, and Sarah, his wife, got a little restless, and so they decided that they were going to step out of the will of God and try to make this thing happen on their own. They were old, and Sarah was barren and could not have children. And so, uh, uh, sorry, Abraham uh, let Sarah convince him to take her handmaiden so that they could have a son. Uh, and they named that son Ishmael. And that son became a point of contention. So Abraham's actual firstborn son was Ishmael. And things got so contentious with Ishmael that Sarah became so jealous uh, that she actually sent her, her, her maidservant, Hagar, and Ishmael and, and sent them out. She had said, they got to get away from me. Uh, she became so jealous, even though it was her idea to begin with. Uh, and, you know, but because they were trying to operate out of the will of God, uh, Ishmael came, and Ishmael has been a thorn, and his descendants have been a thorn in the flesh of Israel ever since. The nation of Israel. Uh, so uh, Abraham tried to do it on his own, and out of that came Ishmael, which was uh, honestly... Um, He's, him and his descendants have been, have been a, 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 a stumbling block, a thorn in the flesh of, of Israel since that time. Uh, and what Paul is saying here is that even though uh, Abraham had ultimately had more than Ishmael and even more than uh, uh, Isaac, his children, he also had another wife, uh, had a wife that he had children with. It was only through Isaac that the promise was. So he, not all of Abraham's descendants were chosen to be blessed and to be used by God. Only the children of Isaac were chosen to be used by God. So one, he says, not all who are of Abraham are actually Israelites. The first example is, just so you guys understand, uh, what he's telling his readers is that, and this is a principle, is there because when God chose Abraham, the, the promise was through Isaac, not through anybody else. Abraham's child was Sarah. That's it. And so the promise was through his son was Sarah Isaac. You know, and a lot of times in our lives, uh, we try to do things on our own with, uh, uh, when God has made a promise. And so we try to make things happen. We get bored or we get frustrated. We get tired of waiting. We try to make things happen like Abraham did. Uh, we create Ishmael's. <coughs> right? We create ultimately more problems for ourselves and, and hurt and pain in our lives trying to accomplish God's will outside of God's sovereign plan. And we just hurt ourselves. But here's the great thing about God, that even though Abraham messed up, and even though he tried to make something happen uh, and was disobedient to God, God still accomplished the purpose that he had for Abraham, regardless of Abraham's mistakes. Why? Because when God promises to do something, he is going to do it. When God calls you, he is going to use you to accomplish the purpose that he has for you. Listen, God didn't just call Abraham to bless him. God called Abraham to be a blessing. Abraham was called to serve. His promise to him was, and we don't always talk about this, was that Abraham and his descendants would be a blessing to the whole world. So this just isn't about God calling Abraham uh, and saying, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and give you a, uh, make a nation out of your descendants. No, God had a purpose here. He was going to demonstrate his power, his love, his mercy, his grace, demonstrate who he was, right, to the rest of the world. 
And ultimately, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who would not just be the Savior of Israel, but also the Savior for all mankind. Right? So it wasn't about just blessing Abraham or giving him some reward. It was about the choice to use him to accomplish his purpose and to use his descendants. So when God makes a promise to use you and calls you, he will accomplish that purpose in you. And what's great is, is we can even make mistakes and God will have mercy on us. So I guess what I'm trying to say to you today is even if you've created some Ishmaels in your life, trying to do it on your own, that God will forgive you, have mercy on you, and that if you will return to him, he will still use you to accomplish the purpose that he has for your life. He has called you. And he will still use you. Now you may have to suffer the consequences of your decisions. Abraham had to suffer the consequences of his decision with Ishmael. It caused strife in his home and his family. He ended up uh, uh, sending Ishmael out of his house. Uh, and uh, God ended up sending them back home to Abraham. <laughs> Uh, right, And God ended up promising Ishmael that he was going to make him a nation and bless his descendants. Um, but ultimately the promise was to Abraham through Isaac. And when, but when God promises and, and puts a call on your life, he doesn't just strip that call away. He will use you, even if you make mistakes. If you'll uh, submit to him and be obedient to him, he will use us. He doesn't change his mind. All right, let's continue on. So, uh, because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac you shall be the call. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of Abraham, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of the promise. At this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. That's the promise. That Isaac, the son of Sarah, that's who the promise would be fulfilled through. Right? So not everyone that was a physical descendant of Abraham is a, uh, an Israelite, is a, a, a considered to be under the promises made to God. And if you look here, that, and where Paul says that, uh, you know, to Israel, God made and revealed himself in very special ways. Right? Uh, he adopted them. He chose them as his, his chosen people. Uh, he demonstrated his glory to them. Right on Mount Sinai, he demonstrated his glory. Not just on Mount Sinai, but also in the tabernacle. He demonstrated his glory. He rested in the Holy of Holies. His presence filled that place. And even and when they built the temple, and Solomon built the temple, and they had the ceremony to dedicate it to God, God came down in his glory and rested in the temple. So God had demonstrated and shown his glory to Israel. He had demonstrated and shown his power to them over and over again. He gave them the covenants. God made multiple covenants with Israel. He gave them the promise from Abraham. The promise that he covenant he made with Noah. The covenant that he made with Moses. The covenant that he made right with David. These covenants and promises that he made with the nation of Israel... Uh, throughout history, he made promises to them. And when God makes a promise, he will fulfill that promise. And some of these promises that he made to Israel, that they would be a nation, that someday the line would lay down with the lamb, right? That there would be peace. They haven't been fulfilled yet, but they're coming. They will be fulfilled ultimately. So God hasn't changed his mind as it relates to Israel. 
What God has done is he separated the sheep from the goats. The true children of Israel, right? The spiritual children of Abraham, the spiritual children of Abraham from those who are not really a child of Abraham. He gave them uh, the promises. He gave them um, as well, the, it says here, the service of God. Abraham, a God gave to the Israelites the sacrificial system and the Levitical system, right? So he revealed to them the necessity of the shedding of blood for there to be remission of sin and put into practice the sacrificial system that was put in place and the Levitical system that was put in place. I mean, God, he chose them, he called them, he uh, demonstrated uh, uh, you know, uh, his power to them, his glory, his promises to them. He, he showed them a special favor. They were special to God. But Paul is saying that not all who are Israel are actually spiritual Israel. He says then here in verse 10, and not only this, but then when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, not having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not all, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. He's talking about the nation of Israel, and he takes it one step further. He says, just so you're aware that God does indeed, has you know, chosen that is only the uh, children of Isaac, the, the son of Sarah, that would be heirs of the promise. He goes on to say that uh, if you look at Rebekah, who was the wife of Jacob, I mean Isaac, they had two sons, Jacob and Esau. But before any of this world was created, God had made a decision that it would be Jacob he would carry on through, not his brother Esau. That was God's sovereign plan, right? God made a choice that he would carry on the promise that he would, he would make to Abraham, right? The promise that he would make to Isaac. He would carry on that promise through Jacob, not Esau. Even though technically Esau was the firstborn. They were twins, but Esau was the firstborn who came out first. And according to tradition, right, in the customs of man, Esau should have been the one that God blessed. It should have been the one that received the blessing. He should have been the one that the promise was fulfilled through. All of man's customs and all of man's rules said that it should have been Esau that was chosen, but God didn't choose Esau. He chose Jacob. Why? Did he hate Esau? No. Did he not choose Esau because Esau was a bad person? No. Did he not choose Esau because of some inherent fault in Esau? No. That wasn't part of God's decision at all. In fact, I personally believe it had nothing to do with who Esau and Jacob was. It had to do with God demonstrating that God will choose who he wants to choose and reject who he wants to reject. And so therefore, he doesn't care about the customs of man. He doesn't care what my man thinks. God chooses who he wants to choose. He chose Jacob before the foundations of the world. And so therefore, as it relates to you and your service to God, God, it, it should give us excitement and help us to be excited, right? That uh, God does not care what my man thinks when he called you. He didn't take anybody else's opinion into account. God didn't pull Isaac and say, Isaac, uh, you know, what do you think, Esau or Jacob? 
God didn't poll anybody about you to say, should I use them or not? Are they qualified? Right? God does not care if you're the least of your household or the first in your household. God doesn't care what my financial status is, my social status is. God doesn't care what my education level is. God doesn't care about my, uh, how weak I am. He doesn't care about any of those things. God chooses us. Why? He says, the Bible says that he chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. And he chooses the weak things because in all this, God gets the glory. By all accounts and purposes, if you look at Esau and Jacob, Esau was strong and rugged and manly, right? He was tough. He was uh, an outdoorsman. He hunted and he, he was clearly the favorite of his father, right? Dad anointed him the one that was going to get his blessing, right? Uh, there is no question about that. And Jacob was, I imagine, a little scrawny guy. You know, he kind of was got the leftover genes in the womb. Esau took all the good stuff and all the genetically good stuff. And Jacob got what was left over. You know, I always think of Tiny Tim when I think about Jacob. You know, like this little emaciated guy, right? That's kind of how the Bible paints him, right? Weak, right? He, was, he, he, he didn't really have a whole lot to offer in terms of physicality, right? He was smart. But back then, what was looked at was not necessarily smart. It was looked at, one, were you the firstborn? Two, you know, uh, were you able to work the land? Were you able to provide for yourself? Were you, you know, like it was all about that ruggedness. And he didn't have any of that. So from man's perspective, and certainly from his dad's perspective, uh, Esau was the one. And so that's why Isaac had it in his heart. He, despite what God wanted, Right? He was going to bless Esau as the firstborn. Well, we already know Esau wasn't the brightest uh, bulb in the box because he sold his birthright, his inheritance, for some soup because he is hungry. Dum-dum. He could have just fixed himself some soup. He was an outdoorsman. Cook up some of your meat and eat. Instead, uh, he, he uh, was so hungry uh, that he just, it meant so little to him that he sold all of his inheritance to his, his brother Jacob for a bowl of soup. Right? So he clearly wasn't the brightest in the, of the bunch. Right? And so, but still, uh, his dad, Isaac, was going to bless Esau and give him the blessing. That blessing meaning that, you know, uh, he would, uh, that blessing that he would give ultimately to Jacob, <laughs> which was the you know, that God would uh, bless him and his descendants and all these things. But then Jacob's mom had other plans. Rachel liked Jacob the most because he is the mama's boy. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, Jacob was the one uh, sitting next to mama and mama loved him. And so mama tricked dad into blessing Jacob instead of blessing Esau. Now, what's hard here is that in verse 13, there's a quote from scripture that says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I've hated. This is talking not necessarily from a person perspective of Jacob and Esau, but from a kingdom. Jacob would ultimately be the, uh, the Israelites would be in his lineage, but Esau was the Edomites, mm -hmm. who at times were at war with Israel and sided against his brother. Right? Uh, and even though uh, Jacob never, or that Esau never officially served his brother, right, he did, but what it is, is that 
uh, or sorry, yeah, Esau never officially has served Jacob. In terms of God's spiritual hierarchy, Jacob's children and family, you know, offspring were the those who were chosen by God, and the, the promise of Abraham would be through them. Right? So it's not that God hated Esau, he rejected Esau, not because Esau had done anything wrong, not inherently in either of them. God just decided, I'm going to do things my way, not man's way, to show I'm in control. Right? And that should give you and I hope that it doesn't matter what man has to say, his opinion, his cares, not even what you have to say about yourself can overrule God's plan and purpose for your life. When God's called you, he doesn't care about anybody else's opinion. Uh, Isaac could have complained all he wanted to. Uh, if I, I suspect he was so upset that he, he was upset that he had been tricked, right? And his hands were tied. There wasn't anything else he could do for Esau. In fact, if you ever go back, read the blessing that he put on Esau. If I had Esau, I'd have just stopped him there. You know what? Don't finish, Pops. <laughs> That's just stuff because he's and the blessing is pretty much pain suffering. You're going to be subject to your brother. I mean, it's like it's, it's not much of a blessing in there. And, and so uh, he truly got the leftovers. So uh, while uh, uh, Jacob got the leftovers genetically, uh, Esau got the leftovers spiritually. He got the leftovers as it relates to the promises of God. And so it should give you and I hope that God's will is what is accomplished, not the will of man. Verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. Meaning if God chooses to use one person and not someone else, does that make God unrighteous? Because God chose uh, Jacob and did not choose uh, Esau, does that make God unrighteous? Absolutely not. Paul says, no, it does not. Why? Because, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will ever, I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. God will choose who he wants. He will choose those. He places a call on their life. It doesn't matter what their qualifications are. It doesn't matter what their purpose is. It doesn't matter any of that. God will have mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and compassion on whom he wants to have compassion. He will choose to use and bless those he wants to. Right? Now, uh, you know, that is his purview. He is God. We may not like it. We not, might not agree with it. But he's God and he can do what he wants. Why? Because God is inherently good. God is good. And it's his purposes. Think about this. It is from the lineage of Jacob that ultimately came David, that ultimately came Jesus. Right? right? And Jesus would be that blessing to the whole world. The Messiah, the Savior. Verse 16. So then it is, not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Right? So I don't get to choose who God shows mercy to. God does that. So uh, basically, uh, when it comes to salvation, uh, I don't decide who's worthy of God's mercy and who's not. When it comes to God using people, I don't get to decide who is talented enough to be used by God and who's not. God makes that decision. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, he chose me not because I'm something worth something. He chose me because I'm broken. He chose you because you're broken. That's a great thing. That God doesn't look for the most mentally or physically or gifted. He looks for those who will rely and trust on him. That's who God chooses. Those for his glory. Because when it's all said and done, creation was created to glorify him. 
Adam and Eve were put in the Garden of Eden to glorify Him. You and I are here today to glorify Him. That's our purpose in life, is to bring glory to God. That's our purpose. And so when God blesses you, it's to bring Him glory. When God redeems you, it's to bring Him glory. When God has mercy, it's to bring Him glory. When God answers a prayer, it's to bring Him glory, right? It's not about us. I don't deserve for Him to answer prayers for me. He does it. Because he loves us and to bring him glory. Right? Verse 17. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. Now, look at this. Uh, my, you like, we love to talk about God hardening the heart of Pharaoh. However, if you do your research, you will see that in chapter 7 and twice in chapter 8, the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Right. It is in verse chapter 9, verse 12, where it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So in chapter 7 once, and in chapter 8 twice, Pharaoh hardened his own heart first. Listen, God will use the disobedience and the rebelliousness of man to accomplish his purpose. Mm -hmm. God already took the hardness that was already in Pharaoh's heart when it came to the nation of Israel and God, and all he did was double down on it. All he did was use it. Pharaoh was already hard of heart. He was already callous to the nation of Israel. He was already callous towards God. He was already callous to all of those things. His heart was already hard. He was prideful. He was arrogant. He was rebellious. Yet God used his rebelliousness, his disobedience, and his arrogance to accomplish his purpose. Again, that should give us hope. To take away here is, is that God is in control and will accomplish his purpose no matter what. That's the takeaway, right? That God is in control. And so no matter what the world says, God is in control. No matter what man's opinion is, God is in control. That's what we should take away from these first 18 verses. That God's ways are above our ways. And God's thoughts are above our thoughts. Right? That God doesn't do everything the way that we want him to do because he's God and he has a better plan and purpose. And God can operate... Even in what you and I see as rebelliousness of individuals and the world to accomplish his purpose. Judas, another example. The Bible says that on, when they were doing the Last Supper, that Judas, uh, Christ took bread, dipped it, handed it to Judas, and when he handed it to Judas, Satan entered Judas. Right? Judas had already made the decision to betray Jesus. He had already negotiated with the, uh, the scribes of the Pharisees. He'd already negotiated the price. He'd already negotiated all of those things before the devil had any part in entering him. Judas had made his decision. God didn't make Judas do it. Judas made his decision, right? Did God decide that Judas was going to do it? Yeah, but Judas, God didn't make Judas do it. <coughs> Judas made those decisions according to God's sovereign will and purpose. Right? So God can use uh, the, those things to accomplish his purpose. Right? The devil thought he had Jesus whooped. The devil thought that he put Christ in the ground, he got what he wanted, he was no longer uh, 
you know, going to have to be uh, worried about Jesus. And guess what? He put into motion all these things that culminated in Jesus Christ being crucified, abused, killed on a cross and put in a tomb. And three days later, Jesus rose again. God worked through the plan of Satan to accomplish his purpose. God was like, go ahead, Satan. What you don't know is that's all my will anyways. Right? So when you and I look at how man acts and behaves, know that God is always in control, even in the rebelliousness, and even in man's sin, God is in control. And his sovereign will will always be accomplished regardless of man's opinion and regardless of man's choices. God's purpose will always be accomplished. And he operates within the boundaries of man's free will. Right? Cannot deny that. Free will is a thing. Now, how how God works all that out uh, with salvation, that's between, uh, you know, him and, 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 you know, I'll find that out when I get to heaven. Right? But free will is a part. Every example in the Bible, God is using a disobedience or rebelliousness that's already there to accomplish his purpose. So for these first 18 verses, the focus is, is that God calls, God chooses, and no matter what the world says, it does not override what God has to say. And with the nation of Israel, God chose Israel, he chose Abraham, he chose Isaac, he chose Jacob, right? He chose them to be the bearers of the promise, to inherit the promises from one generation to another, ultimately leading to the Messiah. So even though Paul is upset, even though Paul is disturbed about his fellow countrymen, and about their uh, rejection of Christ. He has hope in that. He knows that just because they're physical children doesn't mean they're spiritual children, and that what God promises will be fulfilled. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month, we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach a loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.